Hi, Josh Sorrell here from Sandhill FWB Church in Sandusky, Ohio. The podcast that you're about to enjoy was given live before our congregation here at Sandhill, and we pray that this podcast will encourage and challenge your walk with Christ. For more sermons like this, as well as additional Christian content, visit our website at www.sandhillfwb.com or check out our social media pages on YouTube and Facebook, keyword Sandhill FWB Church. May God continue to richly bless your journey every step of the way. So I don't have a, just kind of amazing how the Lord works, I don't have a Father's Day message this morning, and I had this message I've been desiring to preach to the church, and I, I told Renee, I said, uh, you know, we're just getting back from camp, it is not a Sunday to push you guys harder to do something, you know, uh, I don't think that's a, I don't think this morning is the morning for that, it's not the morning for correction, or um, it's, you know, what kind of a message do we need this morning? And I, I was dwelling on this message that I've been wanting to preach, and the Lord said, well, that message right there would, would be exactly what they need this morning. And I, I hope that it will show us where we are uh, as a church. And so I'm excited with, uh, about the message this morning. So if you'll turn your Bible to the book of Exodus, chapter 25, <clears throat> we'll do our best to mind the Lord this morning. And uh, I hope this will uh, be a blessing to you, and I hope that it will open our eyes to where we are at. <clears throat> when you stand, or when you find it, would you stand to your feet and we'll honor God's word? <clears throat> Exodus chapter 25. <clears throat> See, I'm kind of weird because everybody tells me that this is the part you get to when everybody just skips over and doesn't pay attention. I think it's fascinating. I always think it's exciting when I read it, but everybody else said this is the most boring part of the Bible. Uh, so, but, so if you think this is boring, hopefully tonight or this morning we'll make it a little, uh, a little better for you. Exodus 25, verse number 8. <clears throat> and let them make me a sanctuary, God speaking here, that I may dwell among them according to all that I shew thee after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of the instruments thereof. Even so shall ye make it. And they shall make an ark of shittim wood, two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, within and without shalt thou overlay it, and shalt make upon it a crown of gold round about. And thou shalt cast four rings of gold for it, and put them in four corners thereof. And the two rings shall be in the one side, and the two rings in the other side." And thou shalt make staves of shittim wood, and overlay them with gold. And thou shalt put the staves into the rings by the side of the ark, that the ark may become, may be born with them. And the staves shall be in the rings of the ark, and they shall not be taken from it. And thou shalt put in the, into the ark of the testimony which I shall give thee. And thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold, two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof. And thou shalt make two cherubims of gold, of beaten work thou shalt make them, and, to, and the two ends of the mercy seat. And make one cherub on one end, and another cherub on the other end, and even the mercy seat shall ye make the cherubs on the two ends thereof. And the cherubims shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and their faces shall look on one to another. Toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubims be. And thou shalt put the mercy seat above the ark, and the ark thou shalt put 
the testimony that I shall give thee, and there will I meet with thee, and I will continue with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubs, which are upon the ark of the testimony, of all things which I give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. Let us pray. Lord, how I thank you for this special day at the church. I thank you that this morning our hearts are rejoicing. Lord, we are are thrilled at what you have done. And Lord, I thank you for the the church family that we have. And I pray, Lord, you would take this, thy word. Let us uh, get us out of the way. Let them not see us. Let them see your holy word. And Lord, just speak to the hearts of all of us, Lord, this morning. We would understand, Lord, where we are, what we are doing. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. I would be afraid to ask how many are excited about the text we read, Uh, but uh, truly a blessing. So let's quickly understand what is going on here, and um, I'm not going to. I'm going to try to not take for granted that everybody understands uh, what's going on here. So God tells Moses to build a tabernacle. Now, not to be irreverent, but it was basically a tent. It it was some boards and some animal skin stretched over them. It was basically a tent, uh, but it was a holy tent, and it was called uh, um, it was called the tabernacle. And that is where God met with Israel. Okay, that's a pretty big deal, right? And, and so this tent, the, the reason that it was a tent was, is that at any moment, God could say, okay, now you're going somewhere else. And they'd fold up all the, uh, the animal skins and all the wood, and they'd pack it up, and they'd carry it somewhere else, set the tent up a different place. But very specifically, God said in verse number 8, the reason I want to build a tabernacle is that I may dwell among them. Now, this is kind of mind-boggling, because for all of eternity, God had dwelled in heaven. And he literally said to a people group, to the children of Israel, I want to to build a place where I can be with you. Amen? So that's exciting. So inside of the tabernacle, he said, I want you to build the Ark of the Covenant. Now, that, now that's, that's got a lot of uh, a popularity over the years, but, but do you understand that is just basically a big chest? Okay? It is, a, it is a box, a wooden box covered with gold. It is just a great big chest. But it's the Ark of the Covenant the Ark of the Covenant of God. It represented the presence of God. It it represented God. And inside of this Ark of the Covenant was the law of God. Okay? The law of God is the Word of God. Okay? (laughs) I can see the excitement in all all of your faces. (laughs) Okay? It's going to get better. Hang on. Don't don't leave me yet. So the, the law there to instruct us how to live. Do we need the Word of God? Do, do, we, do we need the law of God? And the Word, as much as, it, as we love the Word of God here at Sand Hill, and as much as it is precious, and as much as we need the law of God, there is a problem. I don't care who you are, the Word of God condemns you. It condemns you that you are guilty. So, so this ark, which represents God, is carrying the word of God, which represents the, the, the law that condemns us. But praise God, on top of the ark of the covenant is the mercy seat. Is the mercy seat. And, and, and in, in just real simple hillbilly terms, it was a lid for the box. I don't mean that to be irreverent. I want to make sure you understand what we're talking about. There was a big box, a big chest, and on top of it there was a lid. And that lid was called the mercy seat. 
And on top of that mercy seat, there were two cherubs, if you will, two angels, and they're looking at each other with their wings spread out on either end of the mercy seat. And Bible tells us there in verse 22 that God would be above looking down through the cherubs to the mercy seat to the law of God. So if we get the whole picture, please stick with me. Hang on. If we get the whole picture, we have the presence of God, the Ark of the, of the Covenant. We have the law of God, which condemns us. On top of covering over top of the law of God, we have the mercy seat. Does anybody see the picture? The law condemns us, but we have mercy. Who knows what they put on the mercy seat? The blood. They put the blood on the mercy seat. The high priest would go in with the blood and he would put it on the mercy seat and it would, and it would, and it would be over top of the law. So when God looked down from, from above through the cherubs, he would not see the law which condemned us. He would see the blood which was the mercy seat which said we are forgiven. That'll be a little bit more excitement on that one. Okay. <laughs> You're guilty. You deserve to die. But because of the blood, we are forgiven. And that, that, is a, that is really the gospel wrapped up in that whole little box right there. All right? And I don't mean to be reverent. I just want to, I know some people read the Ark of Covenant. I don't understand what that is. And I don't understand what the mercy seat is. I don't understand the is. But if you just understand, it, it represents the presence of God. It represents the law of God which condemns us. It represents the, the, the mercy seat which forgives us. And they put the blood on it. And glory, hallelujah, God said, I don't see the law that condemns you. I see the blood that covers you. That's the gospel. Now, Here's a really neat fact. The word mercy seat is the exact same word translated in the New Testament as propitiation. And that's a word we don't use every day, right? But what does it mean? In the New Testament, Jesus Christ is our propitiation. And propitiation means to satisfy the requirements of God. Are you getting it? So we have the Ark of the Covenant condemning us. We have the mercy seat, the propitiation. It satisfies what God requires of us, and we are acceptable because of the mercy seat. Now, that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And plain and simple, every human being who has been born since Adam has been condemned by the law of God. We're all guilty. Right? Are you with me? The propitiation, the Jesus Christ, the mercy seat, it makes a way where all of us can be acceptable to God. Okay, but I don't want to preach about the ark and I don't want to preach about the mercy seat because those are really popular and, and, and maybe everybody here doesn't think so much so, but those are really popular uh, um, items in the Old Testament. But there were, there were some other items that, that never get talked about. In verse 13, if you look with me, <clears throat> and thou shalt make staves of shittim wood and overlay them with gold. Now, staves is a, is a biblical word, King James Version word, it's staves. <clears throat> Can I just put it in hillbilly language? It was poles. Okay, it was poles, right? It, it, that's all that it was, was just a pole. So, so, nobody really makes a big deal about the staves. I, I've never heard anybody say, man, you know, those staves were just amazing. Okay, they're, they're not really amazing, but they are important. And I, I'm going to try and show you this morning how those staves will explain a whole lot of what's going on at Sand Hill right now. <clears throat> so, point number one, preparing the staves. Preparing the staves. If we go over into, you don't need to flip over there, but if you go over into chapter 37, book of Exodus, we have a man named uh, uh, Bezil, 
And he was charged with building the Ark of the Covenant with the mercy seat, the cherubs, the, the staves. He was charged with building all of those things. So I'd like for you to imagine, I need a little imagination here. I, I need you to plug back in. If, you, if you've tuned out, tune back in. Here, here's what I need you to pay attention to. Um, so Beelzeel goes out. And Moses has said, God is charging you to build the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, the cherubs, and the staves. I want you to imagine that Bezil goes out into the woods and he's looking for two trees that will become the staves that carry the glory of God. And he finds the two trees and he says, those trees are the two trees that I want. Now, how many of you know what he has to do? The first thing he has to do is he has to cut down the tree. Can he use, can he use those two trees growing in the forest to carry the ark? Not as long as they're in the woods, right? He has to cut them down. How many of you know that those trees have been living there their entire lives? The sap is rolling through them. They are growing. We don't know how big they were, but they were trees and they were there and they, they were alive and their roots were in the ground. And Basil comes along and he cuts them off. How many of you know what happens to a tree when you cut it off? It dies. How many of you know that's the starting point for all of us? We have to die. Listen, those trees, once they were cut down, were never going to be trees again. Those trees, what they had been their entire lifetime, they were no longer going to be that. They were now cut off. They, were, they had died. They were no longer what they were before, and they couldn't go back and be that again. They were cut off. Is that not the gospel of Jesus Christ? You can't be a Christian until you die to the old way. Listen, we've come up with this new gospel that is in, that is in the world today that says, you can, that says you can be a Christian, pray a prayer, still be partly in the world and partly in the church. Listen, that's not biblical. It, it, is, it is a cutting. Basil didn't say, well, I'm going to cut part of it off and see if I can use it. He said, I cannot use it until I cut it off. Until it is dead, I cannot use it. So he cuts this tree off. Now he has a tree. This is, this is a good hillbilly message. This, this is a message everybody can understand. He has now in his hands a tree, and it looks like a tree, but it's not connected to the ground. Everybody here can understand that. Are you with me? You can understand that. How many of you know right after you got saved and repented of your sins, if you genuinely got saved and you genuinely repented, how many of you know that you were cut off from the old man? How many of you know that a lot of your friends may have looked at you and say, you look just like you did before? I don't see a difference. So Basil is looking at this tree that is now in his hands, and it looks like a tree, but it's not. Am I making sense at all this morning? So here's what he does. He said, if I'm going to use this for stays, I'm going to have to strip this tree down. So he begins to strip the bark off of the tree. He begins to just strip all of that wood, all of that bark right off of the wood uh, of that tree. Now, all of the life of that tree, anyone who had ever seen that tree, they had known that tree by the way it looked by the bark on that tree. Right? 
Maybe someone had said, that's my favorite tree. Maybe someone had carved initials in it. But that tree was known by what it looked like. Maziel said, I can't use it looking like it used to look. I've got to strip it down and make it look different than it did before. How many of you know a piece of wood that has been stripped looks different than a piece of wood that's not been stripped? Am I being too complicated? Okay. So now we have a piece of bare wood. How many of you know now it doesn't look like a tree? It looks like a piece of wood. Bezil looks at it and he says, it, it's getting closer. It's dead. It's no longer growing in the forest. It no longer looks like a tree. But as he examines it, he says, I'm never going to be able to use this as a stave unless I get rid of some of these knots. So he gets out his knife, he gets out his saw, he gets out whatever he had, and he begins to cut the knots off and the bad places off. Anything that did not make that piece of wood suitable to be a stave, he had to cut it off. Now, how many of you know that when you got saved, you had to die to the old man? How many of you know that when you got saved, you had to stop looking like the old you? But how many of you know that after God saved you and after God stripped you, after that, he still had to cut some knots off of you? Amen? He, maybe, you, maybe you had a tendency to lie. Maybe you had a tendency to cuss. Maybe you had a tendency to drink or, 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 or whatever your sin was. But God had to cut some knots off you because he said, I cannot use you till I get you looking like a stave. And it, so he cuts these knots off. Some of those knots, anybody that's ever worked with wood knows the knots are the hardest thing to get rid of. Right? The other parts of the wood are soft, but the knots are hard. Isn't that the way it is in our, in our lives? Some of those sins, everybody here, listen, we, we can take off our halos from it. Every one of us has those pet sins that are just really hard to get rid of. Maybe it's temper. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's jealousy. Maybe it's your tongue, you know, but there's those things we, and some of us, if we're just realized, have been saved for a long, long, long time and still haven't struggled getting rid of some of those. And sometimes that we really have to really whittle that thing down to get rid of that knot. Can I hear everybody any man? Sometimes it's God has got to cut us down to get rid of those knots because he can't use us with those knots in our lives. So he has this piece of wood now. It has been cut down. It has been stripped. It has been cut down. All the knots are gone. He looks it over and he says, it's starting to look like a stave. But we're not there yet. He says, I want this wood to be perfect. Because it is for God. And so after he's cut the knots off and after he's cut all the bad places off and after he's got it all looking like a piece of wood, he begins to sand it down and make it perfectly smooth. He says, when them priests are carrying that, that stave, I want it to be just perfect for carrying. We don't want any rough spots. We don't want any hard spots. We don't want any blemishes. We want this stave to be perfect. So he sands it down. And I have to believe that he sands and sands it till it is just as smooth and slick as a, as a piece of wood can possibly be. How many of you know that after you've been saved and died out to the world? How many of you know after you've been stripped and no longer look like the old you? How, long, how many of you know that after God cuts off those sins of you, he's still not done with you? 
He said, now that I've got you to quit lying and quit cussing and quit drinking and quit lusting, now I need to sand you down to make you smooth so I can use you. You need to have some Bible understanding. You need to read your Bible and go to church and learn the Bible. You need to be faithful in prayer. You need to be more dedicated and committed. These things make you useful to me. So he sands it down and he looks at it. And as he examines it as a master craftsman, he said, this looks like a stave. It went from being a tree that did not resemble a stave to being a perfectly crafted piece of wood. Now you think, Pastor, that's no big deal. It's a pole for crying out loud. Why are we having a message about a pole, right? I believe Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, what does it say? Uh, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. What does that verse mean? New Testament, it means that God has to sculpt us and cut us and mold us and shape us and sand us and do everything he can to get us into the form where he can use us. So we have this pole now, uh, this stave, and it is a perfect stave. There, there's, you can't find fault with it. It is perfect from one end to the other. It is a perfect stave. But Obezil, he's not finished. He takes that stave and he covers it in gold. How many of you know that that stave now is not recognizable to the tree that it was growing in the woods? Isn't that what we're supposed to be as Christians? You know, some of us got saved later in years. You know, maybe you went into all kinds of bad things. Some got saved when they were younger. All different stories. Here's the thing. If you got saved when you were 40 years old and you lived a life of sin, you can say, praise God, I'm not like I used to be. If you got saved when you were five years old and you're older, you can say, praise God, I didn't go through all those things there. God saved me from it or he saved me out of it. But one way or the other, we were all a bunch of sinners and we were going to be that way if God hadn't saved us. And now he covers it with gold. You say, Pastor, what does the gold represent? Well, this is what I think it represents. You can take, you can just, when you're preaching it, you can preach it the way you want to. But this is what I think it represents. Everything in the tabernacle was covered with gold. Everything was covered with gold. The ark, the, the mercy seat, the table, the, the candlesticks, everything was covered in gold. I, I believe that that shows the approval of God. See, how funny, how out of place would it have looked if you'd have walked into the tabernacle, into the Holy of Holies, and you'd have seen this gold-covered box, and you'd have seen this gold-covered mercy seat, and this gold-covered candles, and this gold-covered table, and everything in there is just covered in gold, and you see two pieces of wood. <laughs> you say, uh, God, uh, th this doesn't fit. But when God covered it with gold, he's now saying... I approve. I will use this, this piece of wood now as a stave for my work. So now it is covered in gold. It now fits into the work of God. It is, it is, I thought about my favorite scripture, uh, uh, 2 Timothy 2.21. If a man will purge himself from these things, he, he, uh, God, will, God will make him a vessel of honor, meet for the master's use. He, he has to do a work on us before he can use us. And, and so there's a preparation to get from the tree in the ground to the staves in the temple. 
And now we're at the place where Basil now has in his hand a perfect stave that is perfectly crafted and it is covered in gold. But he's not finished yet. We have one more thing to do. If you're listening in the, in the reading of the scripture, we have this ark, we have the mercy seat. On the ark, there are two golden rings on either side. Four all together, two on one side, two on the other side. Beziel now looks at this rod and he says, it's exactly what God wanted. And I'm now going to put it exactly where God wants it. And he sticks it through the rings of the ark. That is what it was created for. That is what it was designed for. That is how God would use it. Let's just stop right here for a minute. I think a lot of you at Sand Hill have been cut down. I think you've been stripped down. I think you've had the knots cut off of you. I think you've been sanded. I think you've even been covered in gold. And now God wants to use you in a particular place. See, those staves would not have been any good to hold up the tent with. They wouldn't have been any good to, to build the ark out of. They would, there's a whole lot of things they wouldn't have been. And truth be known, they really weren't good for anything. But one thing and one thing only. And that was to carry the ark of the covenant. I want to tell everybody here this morning, everybody here, God has a job for you, a specific job. Can I tell you the truth is those staves were really useless if they didn't do what they were made for? In other words, if, 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 if Beaziel said, okay, I'm going to take these out and use them for something else, they're useless. They're sticks. They're of no value. But when you put them where God wants to do something with them, all of a sudden they become very, very valuable doing what God has for them to do. Everybody here has a job to do. A specific place that the Holy Spirit said in the in 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians, he said the Holy Spirit places you in the body where he wants you. That means in the church he wants you. That means in the position he wants you. He gives you spiritual gifts to be used in the way he wants you to. So you now are designed, sculpted by a craftsman specifically for your job. As a pastor, this is what I see at Sand Hill. I want to really make this clear, and I really want you guys to get this. I've never seen a group of people that were so willing to be used by God. But there's a whole lot of changes went on at Sand Hill in a very short period of time. And it's, it's, it's kind of like everything just has kind of been turned upside down. And all of a sudden we have a whole church full of people excited about being used by God. But here's what I see out of a lot of you. Not sure where I fit. Can I tell you that's okay? Can I tell you that's even good? See, I have told numerous people since I've been here, I've told many, many people, they say, I want to do this. And this is what I always tell them. Every time I tell them, I say, okay, honey, you go ahead and do that. But I want to tell you this. If you figure out that's not where God wants you, don't be embarrassed. Come back and say, that didn't really work for me. But I want to work for God. I just don't want to do that anymore. Can I tell you, there's nothing wrong with that. We've had, that. We've had people say, I want to teach Sunday school, and I want to do this, and I want to do that, and I want to, you know, all these different things, and that to do it. I say, no, that really doesn't work for me. Listen, 
All that tells me as your pastor is you love Jesus and you want to be used. And most of us are trying to find our place. Most of us are trying to find our gift, our place that God wants to use us. And at camp, uh, uh, we, we worked, you guys, uh, very, very hard. I'd tell you, out of the Sand Hill people, I, I didn't hear complaining. I didn't hear fussing and quarreling, and I don't want to do it in laziness. I, I seen a group of people who were there to work, and, and they, uh, they knew what they got into. I seen a lot of tired people. <laughs> I guess I saw a lot of tired people, but I saw people wanting to be used by God. But here's my point. Everybody here has a specific place God wants to place you and use you for His glory. Amen? How many of you want to be in that place? How many of you want to be in that place? Maybe you tried three things, try four. Maybe you've been in different things and what is that? Just keep, what I'm trying to say is God has a place for you. He has crafted you. He wants to use you in a specific way. If you haven't found it yet, keep on going. When you find it, it'll be the greatest thing you've ever had. And I want to point this out because I think Sand Hill needs to hear this. Uh, I think this is really, really important. And I can't emphasize this enough. I, I want to move on to the message, but I really want to make a strong emphasis here. I think there's some confusion on spiritual gifts and on um, places where God places you. But you know, in the King James Version of the Bible, the Holy Spirit specifically said that it gave, as God was looking down out of heaven to all of his people on the earth, this is a gift he gave. Everyone's thinking about the preacher, the singer, this one and that one and the other. But here's a gift that God gave. Helps. Do you know that's a spiritual gift? I wonder how many of you have the gift of spiritual, the spiritual gift of helps. In other words, God gave you, just like he called me to pastor, he gave you the calling of being helps. That is your calling. That is your design. That is how God has made you. If God, the Holy Spirit, gives you the spiritual gift of helps and gives me the spiritual gift of pastoring, which one's greater? Neither. Because you're telling the Holy Spirit, I want a different gift. Listen, don't do that. Don't do that. And I, and I think sometimes, there, we, this church is phenomenal with so many of you uh, working so very hard. But can I just tell you, I think a whole lot of you have the spiritual gift of helps. Does anybody, this is really deep Greek. I don't know if you guys can handle it. Do you, does anybody know what the gift of helps does? It helps. <laughs> okay. It helps. Okay. I know that's deep. Okay. Did you catch that? Listen, sometimes we just need someone to help. Sometimes we need someone to bring us an extension cord. Sometimes we need a mop. Sometimes we need someone to wipe a, a dirty diaper, right? Sometimes, but what I'm saying is we think, well, my job, I'm not on stage. I, but listen, God didn't say that. He said, I gave some helps to help those who I gave other gifts so everyone will work together so we can bring glory to God. Amen. There's no big eyes and little U's. There, there are a bunch of gifts and the Holy Spirit looked down on Sand Hill and he picked out everyone and put them where they're supposed to be. And some of you are gifted by the Holy Spirit to be helps and praise God for it. Can I tell you, I know, I know I'm, I'm a little prejudiced, but I think Josh is pretty awesome. Okay? I think Josh is pretty awesome. But let me just let you know, he's totally useless without you guys. He's at, I mean, he's, we might as well not even have him. We might as well get ready. He's no good. He's no good at all without you guys. And, and, and what's my point? Well, I want to be a Josh. Well, you can't be a Josh, okay? If God didn't give you that, you can't be that. But Josh can't be what he is if he doesn't have you. 
If we'd all understand that, we work together. And listen, I am so thankful. I don't see a lot of jealousy and pride, and I want. I just see a bunch of people who want to be used by Jesus. And I'm just telling you, God has a specific place for every one of you. If you get in there, you'll never be happier than what you're doing. What God wants you to do. And I thank God we have some people in this church that are just plain happy, just to help. Just to help. Pastor, if I never get a spotlight, if I never get recognized, my name never gets called. If I'm never anybody, if I just get to help, I'm happy. Can I tell you that's Christianity? Can I tell you that's Christianity? There's a whole lot of things going on today in church that's not Christianity. And there's a whole lot of uh, wanting a spotlight and everything else. But Christianity is, I'm doing this for Jesus. And it, and it ain't about me. So we have these poles that are now where they're supposed to be. They're in a position they're supposed to be. They're not good for anything else, but they are very good for doing what they're supposed to. And can I show you the picture of the staves that were simply trees? Can I show you the picture of them carrying the glory of God? Can we just stop right there and shout? Two sticks that were growing in the woods are now carrying the glory of God. Were those sticks the glory of God? No. They were sticks. Did anybody see them and say, oh, here comes the sticks? No. No one even paid attention to the sticks. But the sticks got the privilege of carrying the word of God, which will save people, and the mercy of God that will forgive people to a lost and a dying world. You and I are staves carrying the gospel to a lost and dying world. Whether it be youth camp or OCC or anything else we do, we're just sticks carrying the glory of God. And I'm excited about being a stick. Anybody else excited about being a stick? Josh told you you're dirt, but I'm telling you, we're, I want to just be a stick. I just want to be a stick. Listen, nothing fancy, nothing big, just a stick that God can use. But if God allows me to be used as a stick, whew, how exciting is that? How exciting is that? So now for the good part, <clears throat> the exciting part. So now these, they're placed inside of the rings of the altar, or of the Ark of the Covenant. If you understand your Old Testament and don't have time to preach it all out, but, but God had commanded no one to touch the Ark of the Covenant. There were to be a priest behind, and they're holding the, the, the staves, and they would grab the staves because the staves weren't holy, and they would grab them, and they would carry the Ark. No one was to ever touch the Ark. We, there's a story where David decided to put it on a cart, and as the ark began to fall over, Uzzah decides he's going to save it, and God struck him dead immediately. There's another story in the Bible where, where they, they set the ark down, and they said, let's look inside and see what's in there. I, 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 I'll miss the, the number exactly, but I believe it was something like 144,000 people instantly just struck them dead. God said, don't touch it, it's holy. Touch the staves. So they picked up the staves and they carried the presence of God. I, I, I don't know how to get you guys excited about that. That's what we do. That's what we do. We carry the glory. Listen, you guys aren't the glory of God. We just carry the glory of God so the rest of the world can see it. And you and I try to be the glory of God. He's going to strike us dead. But we are not the glory of God. And we don't deserve recognition. But we get to carry the glory of God. How exciting is that? We marched into camp last Friday, last Saturday, and we walked in as a bunch of sticks saying we're here to carry the glory of God so everybody else can see the glory of God. And we don't want anybody to see us. We want them to see the glory of God. So I want you to see the privilege 
of stays. We talked about the preparation of stays. I want you to see the privilege of stays. This is really, really exciting. You guys ought to shout. I don't have time to shout. I'm preaching. You guys ought to be shouting. So these staves, which are just sticks, which are not important, I want you to look at the privilege they get. Although it's not about them, and although they have no glory, and they deserve no recognition, and no one ever made any big deal about the staves, I want you to see, when Joshua told the priests, he said, grab that ark by the staves, and walk down to the Jordan River, and he said, when your feet touch the water, the Jordan's going to part ways and there'll be dry ground. The staves were there when it happened. Now, no one said, boy, them staves, they parted the water. They knew it was the ark. They knew it wasn't the staves. But I'm trying to show you, they got in on the action because they were where God wanted them to be. They got to see the miracle happen because they were being used by God where he wanted to use them. How many of you know that you and I, uh, it's never about us and we don't bring the glory, uh, but how many of you know that sometimes we get to be in some pretty awesome places when things happen just because we're being used by God? Eli was talking about that service Wednesday night. Um, the, the, the kids just started coming out of all over. I mean, they just, the just orders were full for a long, long time. They just kept coming, kept coming, kept coming. Listen to me. I did not make that happen. Josh did not make that happen. You guys did not make that happen. God made that happen. But how many of you are glad you were there to see it happen? What I'm saying is we get to be a part of what God's doing. Even though it isn't about us, we still get to be a part of it. That's exciting. One time, there's this little story. Joshua said, boys, grab the ark by the staves and let's go walking. And they walked around Jericho. They picked this ark up. They walked around one time all the way around the city. They come back around and set it back down. But on the seventh day, how many of you know business picked up? Right? And on the seventh day, they picked that ark up, carried it around, I believe seven times. They blew the trumpet, and the, this great walled city, which was impenetrable, the walls literally come crumbling down. Did that happen because of the staves? Well, did someone say, man, them staves are amazing. Listen, it wasn't about the staves, but they got to be there when it happened. They got to see it happen. They got to be a part of that miracle. They got to see the soldiers go in and defeat the, uh, the whole city. They got to see the hand of God, the miraculous hand of God work. They got to see great things. They didn't do it, but praise God, they got to be a part of it. How many of you want to be a part of what God's doing? That's what it's all about. Many times they would go into battle and they would say, let's go into battle. Let's take the Ark of the Covenant. And as long as the Ark of the Covenant was there, they was winning the battle. So much so that the other, the other armies around them, the Philistines, the they said, if we could steal that Ark, we could win battles too. And, and over and over and over again, they saw miracles. The staves got to be right where the miracle was happening because they were right where God wanted them to be. I'm trying to draw you a picture of you. Can I, just, can I just say, um, just honestly, it took a lot of preparation to get where we're at. For me, God had to do a lot of cutting and shaving and sanding and, and breaking and, uh, to get me to where we are. A lot of you, I think, have had to go through a lot of preparation, but praise God, we're now stuck, in where we're, stuck into the place we're supposed to be, and we can see some pretty amazing things happen because we went through the preparation stage, and now we're in the privilege stage of seeing great things God is doing. Now, as awesome as all of that is, and we could go on and on about the things the ark saw, 
But this is the best. This is the best. After they saw the walls fall down and the waters part and the armies win and all the things they saw, they take the Ark of the Covenant. I talked a little bit before about the tabernacle. And there was three sections of the tabernacle. There was, the, there was the, the, uh, um, the tabernacle, there was the holy place, and then there was the holy of holies. Listen, in all of Israel, no one was allowed to go in there but the high priest. And once a year, the high priest could go in there. But the Ark of the Covenant was inside the Holy of Holies. It was a room that was completely covered with animal skin. It was completely dark in there except for uh, the, the candlesticks. And it was a very, very holy place. It literally represented the holiness of God. Guess who was there? The staves. The place where no one else could go, the place that represented the presence of God, the holiest of holy, the most holy place was represented there, and the staves got to go in where it was at. Not because about the staves, but they got to be a part of it because they were doing what God wanted them to do. And that's exciting. See, I know no one likes coming to church and being preached at. I know no one likes being told, you know, take off your old coat and put on your new coat and, you know, be nice to your spouse and don't get... No one likes that stuff. I don't, I don't want to do all that stuff. I just want to come to church and shout the house down and live the way I want to live, right? No one wants having those knots cut off of them. Nobody likes being sanded down. No one likes to be told you got to do... But how many of you know when God gets you where he wants you and he wants to use you, it's the most amazing thing in your ever experience? And I think we're experiencing a lot of that in our church. So... Miracle after miracle after miracle happened from these uh, staves being carried, God doing great things with them. Just imagine all the things those staves got to see. Just amazing. Just absolutely amazing. But now I, I want to show you something that this is not sad. This is, this is exciting. But turn your Bible with me to 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 8. Give you just a minute to find it. First Kings chapter eight and verse number eight. <clears throat> While you're finding it, let me tell you where we're going. So we've had this tabernacle. It is literally a tent that's been carried around from place to place to place to place, all over. They've wandered with it. They've carried it around. This this tent has went all over the place, and it represented the presence of God. They've now come to the place God had told them for a long time, I will find a place to set my name. That place will be Jerusalem. That place will be uh, the, the holy city of God. In Jerusalem, still is today, by the way, uh, the holy city of God at Jerusalem where he will place his name. And then David wants to build a temple. He can't. Solomon builds a temple. They build this great temple. Solomon gets everything to order just the way he wants it. And he said, go get the ark. The last thing we got to do Go get the ark, set it in the Holy of Holies, in the temple. How many of you understand the temple that Solomon made was not meant to be moved? Do I need to explain that? Okay. The tabernacle was a tent that could be moved. It was mobile. It was meant to be mobile. They wandered all over. When God finally said, I'm placing my name here, the temple was built. It was not to be moved. That was a permanent place where God's name would dwell, and it was not to be moved. They bring in the Ark of the Covenant, and they set it down. In verse number 8, chapter 8, 1 Kings, And they drew out the staves, that the ends of the staves were seen out of, in the holy place before the oracle. And they were not seen without, and they are there 
unto this day. So follow the story. This is so very important. This is really actually very exciting. Uh, back in Exodus 25, it said when he put the staves in, they were not to be removed. They were permanently to stay in there. So, so far as we know, scripturally, it doesn't tell us that, that they weren't. When they put those in, they stayed where God wanted them until God was done with them. Did anybody get that? When Solomon built the temple, and it is now a permanent place, they'll no longer be carrying the ark around. The ark has come to a permanent place. They no longer need the arks. They literally brought the ark in, set it in the Holy of Holies, and they pulled those staves back, and it said out in the Outside of the Holy of Holies, you could see the, stick, the staves sticking out. But inside the Holy of Holies, there were no staves. You say, preacher, what does that mean? They were no longer needed. You say, that's a really, really sad place to end. No, it's actually not. See, what would have happened if those staves would have broke 10 years in? What would have happened if they just no longer worked? But how many of you know they, from the day that Baziel created them until the day that Solomon pulled them out, they stayed where they were supposed to be until the job was done? Does anybody here want to go all the way to the end? See, the time's going to come. I, I believe that I'm a hard guy called me to pastor this church. I believe that I'm a hard guy called me to preach. I believe God placed me here. I, I, I hope that he placed me here for a reason. There will be a time when that job is no longer needed. But can I tell you, I want to go all the way to the end. I want to do it until, I don't want to quit early. I, I don't want to stop before I'm done. I want to go all the way to the end. And when I am completely finished and he pulls those staves back, he said, well done. You did good. You did what I created you to do. You were in the place you were supposed to be. You got to see a lot of really great things. Now let's go be together forever. Anybody want to do that? See, everybody here is going to die real soon. Say, Pastor, what do you mean? Well, most of you, I doubt there's very many people here that have more than 50 or 60 years left. A lot of us only have 20 or 30 years at best left, right? How many of you know 50 or 60 years is a very, very short period of time? But how many of you know the rapture's coming? We may not make it to death. So that means that if you're five years old, six years old, if you're, you know, 50 or 60 years old or however old you are, the, it could be over with today, Right? When, he's, when, he, when he calls us home and we leave here, how many of you want to be in the place you're supposed to be in? Doing the job you're supposed to be doing all the way to the end. Right? But Charles, I don't want to quit. I, I don't want to be uh, the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, probably the greatest Christian to ever walk on the earth. This is what he said. And a lot of controversy about this. I don't really want to get into controversy. I'm just going to tell you what it means. Um, and, and then you say, Pastor, I don't see it that way. Well, you need to study a little bit because I, this is what it means. He said, lest I become a castaway. He's going to lose his salvation. That is not what that means. You know what that means? He's being used by God. He said, I don't want to mess up. And God said, I'm not going to use you anymore. Do I need to repeat that? 
Would it bother any of you if God said, I'm done using you. I'm going to let you live another 20 years, but I'm not going to use you anymore. Would that bother anybody? You can go to church, but I'm not going to do anything with you. I have no use for you. I'm not going to take your life. I'll let you go to heaven, but I have no use for you. You are useless to me. And can I tell you, that can happen to Christians. You know why that happens to Christians? Because they don't stay where they're supposed to be. And it is exciting on Sunday morning, that just coming through camp, it is exciting to be where God wants us to be, being used by God. And I can't wait for that day, whether it's the day when the rapture comes, whether our life comes to him, whenever it is, I can't wait for that day when he pulls the staves out and says, I don't need you anymore. Well done. Well done. Welcome to the glories of God. Paul said, I fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. Finished my course. He said, henceforth there is laid up for me a, a, a great reward, and I can't wait to go get it. Amen? Anybody with me? Anybody want to go do that? How, how exciting is that? And so, you may think, Pastor, being a stave is not that exciting. It's not that, uh, that thrilling. People don't get a lot of recognition being a stave. God's watching. This week at camp, you guys were phenomenal. And, and this church was just doing anything imaginable that can be done. And, and, and some, of, some of you maybe were more in a place where everyone was recognizing you. Some of you maybe, no one even paid attention to what you were doing. But if you were in the place where God placed you, God was paying attention. If no one came up and patted you on the back or brought you up front or gave you a big word or gave you a standing ovation or anything else, and no one did that, God was watching what you were doing. Is that enough? Is that enough? If God says, well done, do you need me to tell you you did a good job? So let's get where we're supposed to be. Let's be proud of Amen. We pray that this message has stirred your soul as you continue on for Christ. If you've been blessed by this sermon, we encourage you to share this podcast with others that we made together and embolden each other for the kingdom cause. To listen to Sandhill Sermons live, you can join us Sundays at 11 o'clock on Facebook and YouTube. You can also find additional content such as our Steadfast Studies podcast or the NOYC Godcast for Youth provided by Sandhill for spiritual growth of all ages. These can be found at sandhillfwb.com or on all major podcast platforms. May God continue to richly bless your journey every step of the way.